0: For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now that passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter four is such an important one today when we are surrounded by inappropriate images in the media and sexual references and innuendos and easily available pornography. And especially for men who are more visually oriented, the temptations can lead to catastrophe catastrophe, not only for them, but also for their wives and families. And Christian men, as we know, are not immune and neither are pastors. But is there a way to find freedom from these temptations and to live a God-honoring life in the area of sexual morality? We're going to get some hope today from Stephen Arterburn, founder and chairman of New Life Ministries. He's also host of the daily New Life Live national radio show and creator of the Women of Faith conferences and co-author with Fred Stoker of the best-selling book, Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time, which is now out in a revised and updated 20th anniversary edition. And Steve, it's great to have you with us. How are you?
1: I am good. How are you doing?
0: Doing well. It's been 20 years. I can't believe it's been 20 years since this book first came out, but a lot has happened, hasn't it? We had the Me Too movement, the Church Too Mm -hmm. movement. Lots of things have happened in the interim. Has the battle changed, would you say, at all in the last couple of decades?
1: Well, it certainly uh, is more difficult for men to stay away from pornography if they uh, haven't made a, you know, a genuine commitment to do whatever it takes. But I do want to say something. You mentioned the Me Too movement. And, you know, it's so fascinating that in all of the folks that were accused of something and it was a legitimate accusation, uh, not, you know, something, I mean, who? in my mind, I don't care what somebody did in high school. I mean, that <laughs> right, that's a world away. And, and if you hold everything against me that I did in high school and college, then I have to get out of ministry today. But anyway, there were people that, you know, um, genuinely had hurt somebody, and it was provable. And in not one case did we ever hear this. Yes, that is true. I did that, but I'm not that person anymore. (laughs) A few years ago, I got some help and I discovered that I could live a different life and I would like to introduce you to some people who could verify that that was me then and it's not me today. I never heard anyone do that and it just seemed like that would be such a wonderful thing for people to hear an, an admission and then a transformation. At New Life, you know, we we started getting calls from folks when the book came out, and we realized that there were certainly people that would benefit from the book and they would recommit or rededicate their lives, but they needed more. So we developed a workshop, and we've had thousands of men participate in a weekend transformational experience. And if they had been accused of something, that is what I think they would have done. They would have said, I, uh, yes, it happened. I came clean. I admitted it uh, to my uh, wife. We've been working together since then, and that's not the person I am. And I am so grateful that so many emails and so many folks have let Fred and I know this book has changed their life. Yeah. And that's, that's the really great news, and and it is different today. The thing that I think is wonderful about what's different is that we know how destructive pornography is, not because we think it's a bad thing from the Bible, you know, and and clearly lust is absolutely a sin, but we can uh, statistically, clinically, scientifically, and anecdotally tell you what it does to you when you become what we call a pornified man it changes so much and it's not like we're preaching at you it's just out there and the evidence is there of how much destruction it does to you as a man and certainly to the woman you're married to or You know anybody that really cares about you.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. And I think that is a really good point that I didn't hear any man who was ever accused of something during the height of the Me Too movement who said, yes, that was me. I did do it. And look how the Lord has set me free from those temptations. You're Right. right, you don't hear that. But don't you think it's a little weird too when I reflect back on the Me Too movement, on the one hand, there was all of this anger and ire and outing men and accusing men, sometimes truthfully and sometimes not truthfully. But at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any discussion about the fact that there's no cultural help, uh, you know, much Mm -hmm. cultural help in this area because on the one hand, this society is saying don't be somebody who is, you know, going after women, sexually harassing, sexually assaulting. But on the other hand, it's just porn everywhere you look and sexual impropriety everywhere you look. So how does the world even, you know, able to talk about getting help for this sort of thing? Really, you have to look to the word of God because you're certainly not going to get much help if you look to the world.
1: No, that's true, and I think it's so fascinating that women who are so uh, caught up in Me Too and the value of a woman not being uh, mistreated or um, you know sexually harassed, whatever, but they will be tolerant of pornography, and and if if a man uses. Pornography, and you know just it's everywhere. And I'm not talking about opening up a picture in a magazine. You know, when I was growing up, that was kind of what you did. There was a magazine, you looked at a picture. But now it's this, this horrifically abusive, degrading, hardcore pornography that's just there. And how any woman could not just be railing against that, thinking this is. So uh, degrading of women, and it and, and it, Okay, here's the other thing: they're so objectified um, a woman is in hardcore pornography that, of course, a man can't help but change his view of women once he has uh, become involved in pornography. And here's here's another thing that's really uh, it's fascinating. You know, when you pornography is about a man having a sexual experience with. Pornography, it's selfish, it's self centered, and all of this. When we, you know, God built stuff within us. When a mother nurses a baby, oxytocin is a hormone that bonds her supernaturally to the baby. Yes. And it's wonderful, and it, it really uh, does something that only God could invent. And let's say the cave woman was nursing her baby that she's bonded to, it also creates an aggression toward anything that would be a threat to her baby. And so if the lion is growling outside the cave door or whatever it was, I guess it wasn't a door entrance, <laughs> she'd go out there and kill that lion to protect her baby. You're aggressive. Well, when a man has a sexual experience with pornography, he is bonded to pornography. And if he uses it over and over, he is bonded to that. So what else happens? He is aggressive toward anything that's a threat, to what he's bonded to hmm. and so when the wife is in the house she's a threat he doesn't understand how can I be so uh, angry at her I used to love her now I can't stand her it has to do with the bonding hormone oxytocin
0: hmm. that's interesting is that kind of what you're finding out from new brain science because I know you address that in the book as well more more research being done in this area
1: Yeah, and to me, that is uh, one of the things that, as I've shared that with folks, it's one of the things that really helps them to understand, oh, so this is how I literally transformed my relationship into this love-hate relationship. And, you know, one of the things that happened a couple of years ago, Time Magazine did a story on on 14, 15-year-old teenagers that were giving up pornography. Now, you'd love to hear that that was because they came to Jesus, but that wasn't. Hmm. The story was about they could not be sexual with their girlfriend. Now, imagine this. They're 14, 15-year-olds having sex with girls. It's horrible. But they couldn't, they couldn't function as a man with a real-life human being. They discovered that at 14 and 15 because of what pornography does to you. Wow. And so many men are still unaware that the reason you're not a very good sexual partner Is because of pornography. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, there's a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, Every Man's Battle, the 20th Anniversary Edition. Stephen Arterburn with us, and we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford, and we're partnering with the Bible League on Stand With Them, Bibles for the Persecuted Church. Paul reminded Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is defined as suffering for the sake of Christ and His glory, and it comes in many forms all over the world. In India, it's being shunned by Hindu family members. In China, it's the loss of church buildings. In the Middle East, it could be jail or even death at the hands of extremists. Isaiah is a new Christian praying for the nourishment that comes only from God's Word. Send him a Bible for only $5. $100 sends Bibles to 20 Christians. And through the end of April, there's a Bible for Bible match that will help us send God's Word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. All you have to do is call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at Janetmeffer.com. 800-YES-WORD. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855 Six five twenty five sixty one. that's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt that's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet welcome back great to have you with us and great to have with us Stephen Arterburn, founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, host of New Life Live, and also author, co-author of Every Man's Battle, which is now out in a revised and updated 20th anniversary edition. And it may have been 20 years since you first addressed this issue of winning the war on sexual temptation, but also lots has happened in the interim. Steve, we were talking about some of these brain changes that take place, and you were discussing young teenage boys. It's been shown that, that they actually can't even operate Correctly, because of their addiction to pornography. But how do you begin to address this, especially with Christian men? We would love to say no Christian man has ever looked at pornography, but we know the statistics and and how high the numbers are, even with pastors. How do you get a man in the in the first, you know, discussion with a man about sexual temptation, specifically with pornography, to say, here is the first step toward victory.
1: Well, I think there are a couple of things that can happen in a different way. Of course, one is a man is so disgusted with himself, he finally surrenders and says, I, I have to do something. And the surrender doesn't mean, God, please help me stop this, because that doesn't work. This is one of those problems you must get with other people. You know, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. And this is what we're watching and seeing. Now, the other night, um, I was on a Zoom call because they, you know, of the virus, people aren't meeting together. I was on a call. This is out of the church where I'm a teaching pastor, Northview Church in Carmel. 85 guys were on that Zoom call with me and their group leader, Michael Carey. It was a sexual integrity group, it was an every man's battle group. 85 guys, one church, all coming together to have victory in this area. Wow. Now, that, sadly, is the exception, because about 60% of the guys that are going to church, Christian, non-Christian guys going to church, are using pornography, will have actually looked at pornography more frequently in the past week than they will their Bible. So one thing is, they, they make this decision after they've had kind of a surrender experience. The more common thing is, like at Every Man's Battle Workshop, 75% of the calls are made first by the wife. She says, I was listening to radio. What, What are you talking about here? What do you have? We tell her about it, and then she says to him, if you care about our relationship or your relationship with God, you should call these people and you should go to this. So, another, so hope is when a woman says, this is my expectation. What a sad thing is when he is found out or caught or whatever, and the woman doesn't say everything has to change. I mean, this is, this is a betrayal of me, and I, I can't handle this. This is the time not to be nice, because that's not being nice at all. This is the time to encourage him with some limits you know i just told a woman the other day you say to him okay there's your pornography on your phone and, and this and this is the evidence so so you're not honoring me as your wife so i'm not going to do anything as your wife until you go get some help so don't expect me to cook don't expect me to clean don't expect me to sleep in the same bed with you nothing until you earn back your right to be my husband yeah now that might sound tough or controlling or whatever that's the kind of thing a man will respond to but when you just try oh I'll love him more or whatever listen you could love him till the cows come home and that's not going to help his problem right. you you really you didn't cause the problem. He would have had the problem no matter who he married, even though he'll probably try to blame you for having the problem. It's just not true.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. There needs to be some righteous indignation there to kind of yes. spur to spur on the, right. the the motivation to change. Yes. You know, what about in-person temptation? Because that still is with us since the beginning of time. And we saw, for example, how Joseph dealt with Potiphar's wife. He just fled. But in many cases, the fleeing doesn't occur. and And how do you help guys through... Just the basics of, you know, don't do dumb things. If you're a married man, especially, you should do everything you can to maintain your sexual integrity. What what would be some highlights there in, in terms of recommendations?
1: Well, one of the great gifts of my life was when I did not need to be fascinating to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, if you're uh, still in the stage of manhood or right before manhood, where you need a mommy to go to to say, "Hey, look at me! Look, aren't yeah, aren't I amazing and special?" then you need to get, you need to grow up. How do you do that? You you know, men become men in the company of men, and if you still have to go hit get a hit of adrenaline down the hall from the woman that's attractive who gives you attention, then that's the problem. So let's let's take care of it then. Versus, it becomes the emotional affair, and then the then the uh, the physical affair. You know, being faithful and loyal as a Christian man, it doesn't mean you're you're just you're committing. I'm not going to have sex with anybody else. You're you're going to have a standard of everything I do is known by my wife. It's approved by my wife, and it's involving my wife. And so there's no friendship with the opposite sex that your wife isn't involved with. There's no going to some other female to discuss things that are going on in your relationship at home. That's where this starts. And that's why this advice, you know, God is so smart. He just tells you to do one thing when you're tempted. Run. Yes, that's simple. (laughs) Run. Don't negotiate. It's ego. It's pride. When you don't run, you think, oh, I'm better than this. You have to run. Yeah,
0: no loopholes. What about Internet integrity? I mean, that's something else that has really changed in the last couple of decades, the ease with which a man can find a woman on social media in any context, whether it's social media or dating apps or what have you. What kind of advice do you give to guys about the Internet and how to navigate it in, in really a biblical way?
1: Well, some guys have no trouble. And if you do, um, you probably, it would be good to put a filter or have some kind of internet accountability, you know, Covenant Eyes does a thing where everything you look at, if it's anything questionable, it comes up on the screen of your accountability partner, and then that person asks you, hey, what was that all about? So, you know, you you need a little bit of, um, of a safeguard there, and so it could be a filter. Some guys literally, to save their marriage, result to going to a flip phone, and so it's not a walking computer or source of temptation all the time. But but whatever it is, you, when you do it, you just feel so much better about yourself. You're no longer the bad little boy looking at dirty pictures. You're a man in charge of his destiny, and, and you're being faithful to your woman. Right. And, you know, it's it's so sad that we end up in these dynamics of, and, it, and it's like you're married, but it's very similar to an angry mom and a bad little boy. Well, that really doesn't work very well in marriage. In fact, it doesn't work at all, and it destroys any potential for healthy intimacy. Uh, it's it's difficult to be holy and pure. Uh, And that is the standard that God has for us, is holiness. It's not better than I used to be or better than the next guy. And it's not doing really well. It's holiness and purity. And you either are or you aren't. And so if you aren't, get some help. You could call us at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. And by the way, I'll just mention this. My wife does a group for women. She facilitates a group for women who struggle with sexual integrity. It's not just a man's problem. And so if you're a woman and you've gotten hooked into this, you know, maybe the man said, oh, this will save our marriage or whatever. Uh, You you can get help, too, and we'll try to find someone for you also. But we also offer a great restoration weekend for women who've been hurt by a man due to sexual abuse or or, uh, pornography or anything like that. We just want to help you, and there's a lot of help there. Don't struggle alone and Once a man can overcome his fear or his ego or pride and get some help, he joins this band of brothers that are out there, you know with this great sense of manhood they're they've got integrity, and they're connected and it's it's the way it was meant to be and i would I just invite any man to join that group, get on board. Uh, life is so much better than looking at dirty pictures.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the hope for marriages is such an important point. You talk about the need for men who are struggling in this area to really cherish their wives. Fundamentally, what does that mean, to cherish your wife?
1: Well, I think it means that it doesn't mean that, that we, um, I give up who I am as a man and and I'm this weak, wimpy guy. Uh, what it means is that I honor Her for all of the value, the strength. I see her uh, not as an object or as a creation, uh, as an afterthought or or for my uh, pleasure, but I see her, you know, like Ephesians uh, tells us to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And so I see her as an equal, uh, and I want to submit to her and her submit to me. And submitting to her means dying to self. So what does that mean? I I don't, I don't do everything I want to do. I don't respond to every urge I have. And whatever problem I have that's hurting her, if I cherish her, I'm going to get rid of that problem. I'm going to deal with that. You know, I was online with my therapist uh, earlier today because I want to be the best husband and the best man that I can be. So cherishing her doesn't mean buying her flowers, you know, or sending her cards. That's really sweet. It does mean looking at my flaws, my defects, and going to work on those because she is so valuable as a human being. She deserves to be married to a godly man. I want to become that man.
0: That's wonderful. Well, the name of the book, Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time. And it's just been great to be talking this over with Stephen Arterburn. And uh, you can get some help as well. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. It was great to talk to you.
1: Hey, look forward to it again. All right. God bless you.
0: You too. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Let's start with a little bit of good news. A federal judge has now affirmed the right of that Holly Springs, Mississippi church to worship without fearing being shut down again or threatened by local police. That's good. This is from the Christian Post. A federal lawsuit was filed by the Thomas More Society on behalf of the First Pentecostal Church of Holly Springs, Mississippi, and the U.S. District Judge hearing the case issued an order against Holly Springs, whose officers disrupted and then shut down a midweek Bible study 10 days after disrupting the congregation's Easter worship service and issuing its pastor, Jerry Waldrop, a citation. The senior counsel, Stephen Crampton, said in a statement these were outrageous violations of these parishioners' rights, On both occasions, Holly Springs law enforcement personnel ignored the fact that all church members present were practicing social distancing and complying with all applicable health requirements. Bible study attendees were threatened with criminal citations for violation of Holly Springs stay home order. And due to the threats and the citation of the pastor, the church members were fearful of holding services on Sunday and exercising their constitutionally protected rights writes, the state order preempts the municipal order uh, because the statewide stay-home order classes religious entities, including religious and faith-based facilities, as essential businesses or operations. So the municipal order had not made that distinction, apparently, and they can go back to worshiping, which is a good thing for religious freedom. That was particularly weird to see these Christians going into Walmart, trying to make a point, hey, if we hung out at Walmart, you guys would freely let us shop, but you don't let us have the same sort of gathering in a church building. This makes no sense and then they were told to leave the Walmart okay <laughs> you know so it's good to see them triumphing but you know here here is the question that is really emerging more and more yesterday i had played some audio from those doctors in california who held the press conference late last week and they were going over all the data not all the data, but a lot of the data concerning why the lockdowns don't make any sense anymore. And they were pointing to examples like comparing Norway and Sweden when you look at some of the data on how many cases have emerged versus how many people who have been positively diagnosed with COVID-19 have died. And then they were giving all the statistics. It's a very, very small number. And it really didn't make any difference whether or not you had more of a hard lockdown in Norway versus almost no lockdowns in Sweden. You still had pretty much the same rates. And that does matter. They they had stressed in that press conference, I think, intelligently and wisely, that when COVID-19 first came on the scene, it was the prudent thing to shut things down because this was a new virus. There was no vaccine. We didn't really know what it would be doing. and, And especially because it was coming out of China and China... Well, let's face it. The Communist Party, they're a bunch of liars. So you can't really believe anything China will tell you. If they tell you there are tons of cases, you don't believe them. If they tell you there are a few cases, you also don't believe them. So we had to kind of see for ourselves how COVID-19 would play out in the general population of the United States and then make adjustments from there. And now these doctors are coming out and saying we need to make adjustments, guys, because this is just not panning out to be the second coming of the Black Plague. It's just not. It's a respiratory illness. It's very contagious. But we're looking at these death rates and it just is not making sense for millions of healthy people to be in lockdown when we're seeing these very small death rates and most of the people who are dying have underlying conditions. So they're dying not from COVID-19 so much as they are dying with COVID-19, meaning they already had underlying health conditions like hypertension or asthma or something along those lines. The New York Post picks up on this. There's a piece here by Carol Markowitz and it says, what are we waiting for? The question can be posed in either a wildly irresponsible way or a sane measured way. In New York, our pause will continue until at least May 15th. And New Yorkers are asking in a measured, sane way, what exactly are we waiting for? In the beginning, we had a goal to flatten the curve. We were warned that COVID-19 would overtake our hospitals and cause a health system collapse. We were to stay home to give our medical heroes a fighting chance. So we did. And thanks to the strength of our system, it worked. I would say the grace of God is as well. The Javits Center never filled up. The USS Comfort is sailing away. Three weeks ago, Governor Andrew Cuomo was vowing to seize ventilators from upstate hospitals and send them to Gotham. And last week, as she mentions, we were dispatching our ventilators to other states. We did our part. We flattened the curve. So why is there no move to loosen regulations? In fact, I saw that now New York has canceled its June presidential primary. I understand this for example when you have towns that are canceling things in the summer because they have to pay out a lot of money today and they don't want to lay out that kind of money in advance if they might have to retract it and they won't be able to go forward with it but a primary a presidential primary yeah so she's asking this very good question, and she's saying it's also becoming apparent that staying closed is some weird poke in the eye to President Trump. Hyperpolarization means that if the president wants to awaken the nation from its devastating economic coma, it must mean that he and his corn followers are wrong. Smart people who tend to have lockdown immune jobs in um, academia and government and media must know better, and they have a license to mock and demean. But it isn't true, as they say. That those of us who want a roadmap to reopening play down the virus or minimize its deadliness. We lost a lot in New York. We watched our friends, family and neighbors succumb to this horrible disease. But there is life beyond COVID-19 too. And she goes on with this, which I think is a very fair point. It is a fair point. Why are we all being locked down? Millions of healthy people. What's it been now? Six weeks? Seven weeks? Seven weeks? I don't know. it also every day is like every other day, to some extent, except when I'm doing my radio show. Every day is kind of the same. You lose track of time. you begin to walk around like a zombie. Uh, you know there's a lot of that some days. I don't know. But I do know what Tony's spell is up to. This is an interesting story. This Louisiana pastor, I've talked about him on and off. He was the guy who would not shut down his church, Life Tabernacle Church in Louisiana. And then he was arrested. And now he's defined house arrest orders that followed an assault charge. Um, he just keeps on going, though. Listen to this report from CBS. Cut one. Just hours after Pastor Tony spell of Life Tabernacle Church in Central was charged with six misdemeanor counts of disobeying the powers of the governor, Tuesday's service was still on schedule.
1: Maybe this will be the step uh, that actually gets his attention and, and brings him into compliance.
0: That wasn't the case. As hundreds entered into Life Tabernacle, their temperature was checked and a metal detector was used to make sure no one had any
1: weapons on them. This is an affront, and attack upon all Christians, across the world that was pastor spell right after he was charged saying he will still continue his services regardless if they are to arrest me and take me out of this congregation my assistant pastor will step in immediately when he is arrested the third man will step in and my entire congregation stands in solidarity with me as their shepherd
0: Now, I I will say I'll confess to a little bit of skepticism in this particular man's case because he said some strange things. And I am a little bit skeptical about him in particular because he seems a little bit like a publicity hound. And there may be some of that. But there's also a part of me that says if these people want to take a chance and, and they're trying to socially distance and they're using the sanitizer and they're taking temperatures, they're doing more than Walmart's doing. Why don't you just let them do it? You know what I'm saying? Why don't you just at some point let them do it? Oh, they'll spread COVID-19 throughout Louisiana. Or maybe they won't. Or maybe if they do spread COVID-19, it'll build herd immunity. Maybe if they spread COVID-19, most of the people who get it won't die from it. I mean, we don't have these kinds of standards for flu, do we? You can't meet in church. You might spread the flu. People die from the flu. It's the same thing. It's not the same virus. But it is the same thing to say, if you have a virus that spreads through a church congregation that could kill people, perhaps you shouldn't be meeting in your church at all. Now, is that logical? Does that make any sense for people to go to that, you know, to that degree in protecting society? Well, it did. Again, we go back to what those doctors said. It it did make sense in the beginning. I, I have been all for it because you don't want people to die. And if this virus is as deadly as they were initially fearing that it would be, then it does make sense to lock down and it does make sense to be prudent. I have no problem with that, but I'm not for permanent lockdowns and I'm not for tyranny. When you have the Laredo, Texas police conducting an undercover sting to bust a couple of women who are trying to conduct a beauty business in their home, things have gone too far. What are these wayward beauty criminals are finally off the street because, of the undercover sting that you lodged against them. Are you kidding me? Give me a break. This is this is where they lose me. And something else as well. There is a distinctly Protestant element to all of these anti-lockdown protests. I'll tell you why when we come back. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. 3,100 Americans lost their lives yesterday and the day before, not to the coronavirus, but to abortion on demand in our country. It's a tragedy of incomparable proportions with over 800,000 weekly, globally losing their lives. In the face of this, Preborn is offering free, compassionate, Christ-centered care and ultrasounds to girls in unplanned pregnancies. Would you carefully consider sponsoring an ultrasound for a girl today? Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound and $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Will you help a mom in need choose life? Just call now. 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at Janetmefford.com.
1: There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. if you're looking for adventure serving as a volunteer on the mercy ship is an adventure like no other and you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world providing free care to some of the world's poorest people whether it's performing a surgery cleaning the deck or transporting a patient to a recovery center every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people begin your adventure today connect with us at mercyships.org it's an
0: adventure of a lifetime You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now,
1: here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. Thank you for being with us. You're not locked down here. You are welcome. You are free to listen. You are free to respond. I don't know. I think an awful lot of this stuff concerning the COVID-19 lockdown madness is really getting us upset because fundamentally, we love being free. You know, we're Americans. We love being free. Liberty is our thing liberty is our thing. We take it so much for granted that we don't even stand back and look at it sometimes. And I think there was a just a fantastic article over at Richard Vigory's site. He's an old-time conservative conservative headquarters. It's a really, really important piece, I think, for us as Christians to understand. It's by George Rasley, who's the editor of the website. And the headline on the piece is Anti-Lockdown Protests and the Defiant Protestant Heart of America. Here's what he has to say. He cites the 190 masterwork of Max Weber called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And that was the work in which this German social researcher argued that Western capitalism and the Protestant Reformation were inextricably linked. Weber made the case that the Protestant theology of John Calvin and the idea of work and economic activity as a God given calling inspired Protestant societies to develop a strong work ethic, which led to the development of Western capitalism. Today, only about 49% of Americans identify as Protestants, but the Pilgrims and Puritans continue to exercise a powerful influence on the American psyche, whether one is Protestant or Catholic or Jewish or has no religion at all. Weber's monumental work and the century of research and thought it spawned tells us much about the psychological and philosophical underpinnings of the protests against the government-imposed lockdowns of the economy that have sprung up. In 2013, he cites these researchers in the Netherlands who published research demonstrating, this is interesting, demonstrating that the psychic harm from unemployment is about 40% worse for Protestants than for the general population. Moreover, people living in Protestant societies are hurt more by being unemployed than people living in other societies, according to this analysis of subjective well-being data on nearly 150,000 people in 82 societies. An analysis of the data shows that the effects derive from an intrinsic appreciation of work among Protestants and in Protestant societies. The resulting experience preferences provide strong support for Weber's original thesis for both Protestants and Protestant countries. Not having a job has substantially larger negative happiness effects than for other religious denominations, according to Daniel Loser in an article for the Pacific Standard. While Weber's work and the work of later researchers helps explain how deeply unsettling being unemployed is to the millions of Americans put out of work by COVID-19, what Weber and the others have failed to note is another idea that is central to Protestantism, the right of each individual to read and interpret the gospel, he says the gospel, maybe a better word is to say the Bible, according to his own understanding and live his or her life according to its tenets, because the gospel doesn't have tenets, and intrinsic in that central idea of Protestantism is the notion that the interpretation and authority of priests and bishops and other hierarchical structures is unnecessary and can and should be defied when they conflict with the plain language of the gospel and or the Bible. Far from being anti-science, because that's what a lot of these protesters have been called anti-science you don't care about science that's not true I would actually argue at this point the people who are pro-lockdown are anti-science and more than that anti-Trump I do think it's a thumb in the eye to Trump whatever Trump is wanting to do do the opposite let's defy him and because they're totalitarian so many of them they just like government authority and government telling you what to do all the time and really, if you're an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian, then you fit the bill of this article when it talks about the, the the need to be employed matters a lot to Christians. And it is rooted in the Protestant Reformation, very much so. The idea that it isn't just a good calling if you're a priest in the Catholic Church, that you're some kind of elitist, you're up, up high and up here, and, and you matter to God because you're special and you're important. But you down here, you blacksmith, you don't matter. And Luther really upended that. And then it was worked out through other Protestant theologians. That was upended. If you are called by God, then glorify God in your calling. That's it. You're not any less important if you're a blacksmith or a, or you're you know somebody who works out in the fields as a farmer. You're no less good or, or, or important than somebody who's in the ministry. We're all serving God in our own ways. And that was revolutionary at the time that that became common and people understood what he was talking about. It really is biblical and it does matter today. So far from being anti-science, the article says, this anti-authoritarian view is deeply rooted in Protestant ideas of individual conscience. That's the other component of this. The very suggestion that individual conscience could oppose external authority would, in the years after Luther launched the Protestant Reformation, crystallize into the affirmation of the ideal of individual freedom. And this is why the English historian Christopher Hill went so far as to claim that the essence of Protestantism, the priesthood of all believers, was logically a doctrine of individualist Anarchy. Now, I would say it wasn't anarchy. The recognition of a sphere where political rule could not legitimately coerce the individual ultimately undermined the status of absolutist authority in all spheres of life. And it soon became clear that once individuals are granted inner freedom, they find it difficult to unquestioningly obey any form of authority. Unquestioningly, I think, is the operative word there, because we are to obey Romans 13. But I find it interesting also. That those people who would go, even people in the Christian world who are citing Romans 13, they forget how our republic was structured. Who really runs this country? We the people. We the people. We're, we're not in a divine right of kings situation, as we all know. We, we the people are, the, uh, are those who are in charge of this country. The people who are in Washington were chosen by us and also by the Electoral College, you know, for the presidency, to represent us. And that makes a big difference. So how does Romans 13 apply in that situation? Well, we have a law that we have to follow. We have a constitution that we have to follow. But ultimately, just because the guy at the top says something doesn't mean it's right. And there is precedent for saying in particular situations, as the apostles did in the book of Acts, you know what, we're going to obey God rather than men. If we were, for example, in a situation in this country where doctors were being told, you have to do an abortion, you're a Christian, but you have to do an abortion, it would be the Christian duty of that doctor to say, no way am I gonna kill a baby. Nope, not gonna do it. And you are outside your authority because you are breaking the law of God by trying to command me To permit and commit murder. So we see that kind of situation very clearly. I've been asking this question recently, and many other people have begun to ask this question at the same time. How does the government have the authority to continually lock down millions of people who are not sick? Oh, because they may become sick. No, the standard, as I mentioned before, for example, in the Idaho statute is you can isolate people who have had exposure to a deadly disease. How in the world is the U.S. government going to determine whether or not I have had exposure to COVID-19? Well, you have to have testing. Now we have to have millions of tests every single day. Do you see how the goalposts keep moving? Now it becomes, first it was, as that New York Post writer said, first it was, well, we don't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed, so we better all stay home. Okay, I'm fine with that. I didn't want the hospitals overwhelmed. Now we know people who have heart attacks and people who need cancer treatments and other sorts of important medical treatments and and surgeries are not getting them, even though there's room in the hospital for them, because they're so scared to go to the hospital, fearing that they are overwhelming the hospital with patients that, in fact, the hospitals don't have. This is madness and somebody needs to fix it because that's no longer what's going on. This is a moving target in many respects. Things that were true three, four, five weeks ago are not necessarily true now. We have data that we didn't have five weeks ago. We have case, you know, case examples that we can look to particular people who've been through COVID-19. We've seen the exposures now that are coming out that in some cases, millions of people now we know have been exposed to COVID-19 and most of the people didn't even know they had it, but stay home, keep staying home because we got to test everybody. Even if you tested everybody and you you saw that millions of people had COVID-19, do you think they let us out then? Some states are, but I I just I'm very, very aware at all times that you should never unquestioningly follow your government because government, though it is appointed by God, can be wrong. And people in government can do things for nefarious purposes, which is something our founders understood all too well. So I think it is important to consider the Protestant work ethic and the Protestant mindset is what is driving people in many respects to say, let me work. I don't want a government handout. I don't want a government bailout. I don't want to be controlled by the government. I want to do what God has called me to do, and you need to recognize my freedom to do it. And I don't think that these governmental officials ultimately will be able to suppress that long enough to keep people locked down in their houses very much longer. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mefford today. God bless you. We'll see you next time.